Shalom Aleikum, Assalamu Aleikum, Namaste, Shalom, Salam, greetings of peace, peace. Uh, this is Naeem Abdurafi, your um, host for Harlem University Radio. So you're listening to Harlem University Radio. And most of our focus uh, recently has been on, on history world history, and we'll continue uh, with that theme tonight. Um, History is very important to the human family. Um, It is through history, through the study of history, that we, uh, through the sharing, the the study, the simple uh, transmitting of history, that we learn our mistakes. So what I'm going to do tonight is um, uh, I'm going to leave the uh, the text we've uh, I've been reading from um, the uh, on the road to civilization published in 1936 and and I'm going to do some complimentary reading and it, it's um, the purpose is to um, add some detail to what I read last week. Uh, in particular, what I read about the Israelites, uh, because um, what we have in 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 in, in my uh, in, in in my text there, uh, the 1936 text, is you know concerning the Israelites, is uh, rather sparse. Um, so let me go back to you know uh, and read you a, you know just a page the page that there is, you know, concerning the people uh, that uh, um, the authors call uh, the Hebrews. And, and then I'll go to the uh, the text from which I'm reading tonight. So, <clears throat> the Hebrews, inland and, and southward from Phoenicia, uh, was another small country now called Palestine. It, it was shut off from the sea and had little natural wealth. So it never developed into a great state. Uh, It became the home of a Semitic people called the Hebrews. Hebrew history began long after the pyramids were built, when tribes of wandering uh, Semites uh, were led to Palestine out of the plains of the Euphrates from Ur of the Chaldees by a chieftain named Abraham. This occurred about 2100 BC. The Hebrews were nomad shepherds moving from place to place, place to place, to find fresh pasturage for their flocks and herds, and living in tents as the Arabs of the of the desert live today. Okay, again, this is 1936. Um, when the Hebrews entered Palestine, they had not developed beyond a tribal organization. They had a chief or patriarch with absolute authority as head of state. The tribes in the northern part of Palestine gradually took on the civilization of their neighbors and gave up dwelling in tents and built towns. But the tribes in the south continued their nomad shepherd life. The Hebrews in Egypt. Destiny set apart a certain Hebrew boy to lay the foundations of a Hebrew nation. Joseph, 
the great grandson of Abraham, uh, who was sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers. The lad won favor with the Pharaoh, became his minister, and was permitted to bring his family to Egypt uh, that they might escape a famine in, in Palestine. The father, Jacob, was also called Israel. So the descendants were the children of Israel, or the tribe of Israel, or the Israelites. They remained in Egypt for centuries. In the course of time, the Israelites expanded uh, from 12 families to 12 tribes. The Egyptians, becoming alarmed at the rapid increase of this foreign element in the country, began to treat the Hebrews as prisoners and reduce them to slavery. In the 12th century BC, the Israelites revolted, revolted uh, against the Egyptians, and their leader, Moses, guided them out of Egypt. They again became children of the desert, wandering about for 40 years before uh, they entered the promised land, quote-unquote, of Palestine. Uh, they were unable to take the hold of Palestine, what was now in possession of another Semitic people called the Canaanites. And the stronger Canaanite towns resisted conquest. Divided as they were into 12 tribes, the Hebrews were frequently at civil war and, and, and were harassed by neighbors who took advantage of the tribal dissensions. Well, that's, that's a bit misleading, and maybe I'll get back to that at, at some point. Uh, the Philistines, the people who had migrated to Palestine, probably from the island of Crete, succeeded in bringing the Israelites for a time under their rule. Rise of the Hebrew kingdom. In order to cope with the, the Philistines, uh, the Hebrews desired an organized government and demanded a king. Saul, uh, a courageous soldier, was chosen. He laid the foundations of a Jewish state, but it remained his successor, David, to free the Hebrews from their enemies and to establish an independent kingdom about 1000 BC. David captured Jerusalem and, and made it his capital. Uh, his son, Solomon, attempted to organize the state which his father had established, but when Solomon died, Ten of the tribes revolted and set up an independent kingdom called Israel with, with uh, a, a cap its capital at Samaria. The other two tribes formed the kingdom of Judah with its capital at Jerusalem. So we're talking about, about what became uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom or the north, Israel, and, and, and the south, uh, Judah. Okay, the kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom, Israel, was near the rich Phoenician cities and was on the high road between Egypt and Babylon. The land prospered <clears throat> from industry and commerce, but with wealth came luxury and the oppression of the poor. The Israelites adopted the gods and moral standards of their neighbors. Holy men called prophets denounced the wickedness of the Israelites and prophesied their downfall. Uh, 
The destruction of the kingdom came in 722 BC when the Assyrians conquered it and carried more than 27,000 of the Israelites into captivity, replacing them with Syrian and Babylonian prisoners. Israel became an, an Assyrian province and her unhappy people were so scattered that the 10 tribes disappeared from history. We still speak of them as the quote-unquote lost tribes. The Babylonian captivity. The small and feeble kingdom of Judah, this is the southern kingdom, the small and feeble kingdom of Judah survived the destruction of Israel for about 150 years. Judah had remained poor and undeveloped, with many of its people still leading the life of nomad shepherds. When the Chaldeans succeeded Assyria as masters of the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, uh, the Chaldean king, Nebuchadnezzar, captured and destroyed uh, Jerusalem. This is in 586 BC. And most of the people were carried off to Babylon. The rest emigrated to Egypt. Nearly 50 years later, Cyrus, the Persian, conquered Babylon, okay, in 538 B.C. He allowed the Hebrews to return to their native land, Judah, and held it uh, as a province of the Persian Empire. In the 4th century B.C., Palestine came under Syrian rule. It regained its independence in 168 B.C. and remained an independent state for about a century. So the, uh, it's, it's regaining its independence in 168 BC. That, that, that event is, uh, is, is the context of the, um, of, of the Jewish celebration of uh, Hanukkah with the candles. And so there's a, a story that I could, I could tell about that, but uh, you, could, you could also read it. <laughs> because I won't tell it. Uh, It's independence in 168 BC and remained an independent state for about a century. In 4 BC, it became a province in the Roman Empire. That is, it became Judea. The city of of, of Jerusalem was captured by the Mohammedan Turks in the 7th century AD and, and was held by them, except for a brief period during the Crusades. Uh, Until the World War, when it was taken by a British army general, uh, a British, by by the British army under General Allenby, let's see, let me go back. (laughs) The city of Jerusalem was captured by the Mohammedan Turks in the seventh century AD and was held by them except for a brief period during the Crusades. Until the, held by them until the World War, when it was taken by uh, a British Army General under, uh, under General Allenby. The British Army under General Allenby. Okay. Palestine is now a mandate of Great Britain. Again, this is written in 1936. Since 1881, there has been a movement among the Hebrews of the world that is, the Israelites of the world, the the Zionist movement, the purpose of which is to make Palestine a national home for the Jews. 
uh, the British government has pledged its friendliness to the project. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is uh, read for the purpose of, of giving giving some really very important detail uh, concerning um, the Israelites uh, and Assyria in, in particular uh, and, and, and its other neighbors. Um, <clears throat> why we don't learn more, you know, is a discussion, in, in, you know, in, 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 the, uh, in the textbooks, is, is a discussion to be had, but it's, you know, I, I understand it, and uh, so we'll just uh, we'll just go on. Um, I will uh, I will add to, to to the textbook here by going to um, another book published in 1994, Who's Who in the Bible, from Aaron to Zophar, and this the, the publisher of this is the the Reader's Digest Association, and. Uh, I, by the way, I, I happen to uh, know personally a, uh, a minister, or, you know, a, a trained theologian uh, who was, worked as a consultant uh, on, on the project, on the uh, uh, Who's Who in the Bible, and as well as the Reader's Digest of translations uh, of, of the uh, Old and New Testament. All right. So I'm going to start with um, Amos, Prophet Amos, uh, for which there is a uh, a book in in the Old Testament. So, and you, as I get into it, you 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 see my purpose. It is to add detail to uh, you know concerning the uh, the, uh, the role. Uh, that uh, uh, that uh, uh, Israel, uh, the Israelites, uh, played in 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 the in the history of uh, this, this uh, uh, period of civilization development that took place. Let's let's say around 1000 BC uh, and and before, but 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 around there. <clears throat> So Amos, Prophet Amos, an enigmatic sheep herder named Amos stands at a unique juncture in the history of ancient Israel. He was the first of the great classical prophets, those who contributed their words and writing to the scriptures of Israel. Early major prophets, such as Elijah and Elisha, were known for their deeds rather than their messages. But Amos began the tradition of, of the writing prophets, a succession of courageous voices that has defined the word prophet to the present. Sometime shortly before the middle of the 8th century BC, perhaps around uh, 760, Amos became convinced that God had called him to leave the southern kingdom of Judah and travel north to the centers of the of the kingdom of Israel. <coughs> and those centers were Bethel and Samaria and 
other other places, I guess. Oh, that, that's coming up. There, there he was to condemn the people for their social injustice, corruption, shallow religion, and to warn them of coming destruction. Following his divine call, he went to Samaria, Bethel, and perhaps other cities into a society that was to all uh, outward appearances prosperous, peaceful, and militarily strong. He soon became a thorn in the side of the, of the leaders of that society at a time when everyone else seemed to agree that all was well. <clears throat> who was this prophet who tried to burst Israel's bubble of self-deception? Amos is known primarily through his prophetic message and the few facts about his early life given in the book that bears his name seem like meager clues in a detective story. Just two brief statements about who he was. In the first verse of his book, he is identified as one, quote, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, end quote, a village six miles south of Bethlehem. Later he states, quote, I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees, uh, end quote. This is in the book of Amos in, in the seventh chapter. These descriptions have often led to the conclusion that Amos was a menial laborer who herded sheep and cattle part of the year and supplemented his income during certain seasons as a farm worker in, in sycamore groves. The image of Amos as a poor shepherd, cowhand, and tender of sycamore trees seems to fit well with his strong interest in the plight of the poor in Israel and with his attacks on the rich, luxury-loving city dwellers of northern Israel. <clears throat> Several elements of this portrayal of the prophet cause problems, however, Shepherds and farm laborers in that era would typically have been illiterate, but the prophecies of Amos are cast in beautiful and often fiery language that calls upon a wide variety of types of literature and employs a rich poetic tongue. His oracles show broad knowledge of the history of both Judah and Israel, as well as the kingdoms and empires that surround them scarcely what one might expect of a farmhand. Moreover, the translated shepherd, quote-unquote, is not the common Hebrew word for that type of work, but a, but a rare word, noked, that occurs in only one other passage, that is in, in, in Second Kings, where it, where it identifies a royal sheep rancher. Because of these clues, Many scholars have concluded that before he became a prophet, Amos may well have been a substantial owner of flocks of sheep and goats and of herds of cattle, and may have owned groves of sycamore fig trees that provided his cattle with fodder. Thus, it was likely a relatively prosperous and well-educated man to whom the call of God came. As Amos succinctly put it, quote, the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, 
Go prophesy to my people of Israel. End quote. <clears throat> Amos did not approach his task uh, uh, as, as a professionally trained prophet or a member of one of the, the prophetic guilds known as sons of, of the prophets. This reminds me of the, the prophetic guilds, sons of the prophets. It, it's it's uh, the, the, the sophists of, of the time of Socrates who, uh, who were professional uh, 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 professional teachers, professional uh, 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 professional philosophers, you know, professional lovers of knowledge who paid, who, who were paid to teach. So anyway, uh, I am no prophet. Quote, uh, in quote, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, referring to the guilds, uh, the guild, the, uh, the guilds. Again, he says this in his book, Amos. Amos strongly asserted. He was not denying that God had indeed called him to prophesy, uh, but he was consciously separating himself from professional prophets who made their living by foretelling the future and, and who thus could often be corrupted by royal patrons. Amos trekked north from Tekoa across the border into Israel, entering a kingdom flushed with an era of good feeling, riding high with military expansion, economic prosperity. Remember where, where northern Israel is located on, on the high road between, uh, you know, be, be, between Egypt, Phoenicia, and, and, uh, and the east. Um, and I'm, okay. With an arrow of good feeling, riding high with uh, military expansion, economic prosperity, and a booming religious movement, but, 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 one, but one careless of injustice, profound corruption in society. The message of God that came uh, from Amos broke onto Israel's seeming serenity like a charging lion. Quote, the Lord roars from Zion. End quote. Amos cried. And the top of Carmel withers. So Zion is the location of the, of the, of the temple uh, and, uh, in, in Jerusalem that Solomon built. And, and Carmel, Mount Carmel, is, 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 was a holy place even before uh, the, the, the time of... Uh, um, uh, the, the Israelites. So when Amos appeared on the scene, Jeroboam II had been on the throne for about 25 years. Jeroboam's predecessors had been harassed by the Syrian king in Damascus and by the great power of Assyria farther to the northeast. During the time of Jeroboam's father, Joash, however, Assyria had attacked Damascus as the two powers wore each other down and were consumed with internal dissension. Israel was, was, was freed from external pressure in that direction. In addition, Egypt to the south was in decline. Thus Israel had grown ever stronger, even coming to dominate the kingdom of Judah uh, as, uh, as senior partner 
in a forced alliance. The people that cheered Jeroboam when he recaptured Israel's lost territory east of the Jordan and pushed north to take much of Lebanon, Israel once again ruled territory it had not held since the time of Solomon, a clear sign of God's blessing. So they thought. For those who rode, who rode the wave of Jeroboam's expansion, it was a time of prosperity, such as their, their region had seldom seen. They could, quote, lie upon beds of ivory and, uh, end quote, and quote, eat lambs from the flock, uh, end quote, and quote, sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, end quote, and drink wine in, in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils. And these are all from a, the, the book of Amos, once again. It is hardly surprising that they felt great pride in Jeroboam's accomplishments and believed that they were the objects of God's favor. Amid this prosperity, the kingdom of Israel was nothing if not religious. At the shrine of Bethel, Amos observed a continuous round of sacrifices. He foresaw, however, that the easy piety, prosperity, and self-congratulation of the times would be overshadowed by a coming uh, catastrophe. So I'll stop here just just to to make a note. Um, To prophesy... Uh, is, 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 is just one way of defining the responsibility of, of a prophet. Okay? Another way to, to, to define that responsibility uh, or to define prophesy is to warn. Okay? So he wasn't just telling, you know, he just wasn't a, 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 a teller of the future. He, he was a warner. Okay. So because of that impending shadow, Amos could not stroke Israel's confidence nor praise its piety. Time proved him right of the canny Jeroboam II about 746 B.C. was matched by the rise of the powerful Tiglath-Pileser III in Israel, in, in, in Assyria, in 745. So we're going to read uh, about uh, Tiglath in, in a separate uh, uh, piece. In about 745, Israel sank into a morass. Jeroboam's son, Zechariah, reigned only six months before being assassinated. A usurper named Shalom lasted a single month. Within 25 years, the self-assurance and affluence of Israel was crushed forever beneath the expansionist Assyrian army. So this is, this, this is uh, uh, mentioned in, in, the, in the textbook, in the 1936 book. Uh, so this, this, this crushing was the, uh, the deportation of uh, you know, 20, 27,000 uh, uh, people. Uh, was crushed forever beneath the expansionist Assyrian army. But Amos's critique of Israel was not intended to give support to some foreign power. Rather, he wanted to reveal the dark underside of the nation's 
gleaming surface. Israel's wealth was was uh, was for the few and the, and the powerful. The lowly paid the price. So within 25 years, okay. So I jumped ahead. Well, the text jumps ahead. It talks about what happens 25 years later. As Amos, but before then, as Amos walked the streets of Samaria, he observed the destitute living in the shadow of houses inhabited by people absorbed in luxury. His His blood boiled. Quote, Behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take take you away with hooks, end quote. This is in Amos 4. And indeed, this is, the Assyrians were uh, uh, very cruel and, and hooks were used in that deportation. Such pronouncements could hardly have made life pleasant for Amos as he challenged uh, the might, uh, the mighty of the northern kingdom. Ultimately, the rulers of Israel could not allow this stinging gadfly to go unswatted. Uh, quote, the land is not able to bear all his words, end quote. Uh, complained uh, Amaziah, chief priest of the royal sanctuary at Bethel who brought charges of treason against Amos. It was a risky matter to condemn a prophet of God, however, and it was decided simply to deport this unwanted voice. Amos vehemently rebuffed Amaziah, but eventually, when his painful mission was done, he departed. Amos returned to Judah, where he may have compiled the written record of his oracles. Almost all his dire words still apparently unfulfilled. It was only a generation later, however, that the warnings and condemnations of Amos proved true, and that, in retrospect, the optimistic carelessness of Israel's leaders seemed but a foolish dream. <coughs> so uh, this, is, this is Amos from the book, uh, Who's Who?, in the Bible. So now we go to Tiglath Pileser the third, who's uh, who, who has a sketch. One of the greatest conquerors of the ancient world, Tiglath Pileser the second, uh, the third, came to the throne of Assyria in 745 B.C. At once, he revitalized a failing nation, established a centralized Assyrian empire through a combination of outstanding generalship and astute, if fearsome, civilian policies. As elsewhere, his aim in Syria and Palestine, which earns him mention in the Bible, was not merely tribute, but conquest. To this end, he resettled native populations in remote parts of his empire and reorganized the captive lands as Assyrian provinces. So this is what he did with uh, the Northern Kingdom. Uh, King uh, Menahem of Israel managed to buy off uh, the Syrian monarch in 
738 BC at an enormous cost and was forced to become his vassal. Five years later, his successor, Pekka, in alliance with King Rezin of Damascus, attacked Judah, whose people and ruler, King Ahaz, shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Uh, end quote. This is, this is in Isaiah. Uh, against the advice of the prophet Isaiah, Ahaz sought an alliance with Tiglath-Pileser, surrendering treasures of the temple. Hmm. This, this is the temple in, 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 in uh, Jerusalem. And, and the palace, uh, <clears throat> treasures of the palace also, in return for the Assyrians' protection. Tiglath-Pileser destroyed Damascus and reduced Israel to a pitiful rem- remnant. So this is the deportation uh, that we're talking about. Reduced Israel, that is the northern kingdom, um, to a pitiful remnant. But Judah's independence was seriously compromised. In the Bible, he is called both Tiglath-Pileser and Tilgath. Pilneser, as well as Pul, P-U-L, the name he assumed after conquering Babylon. He died in 727 B.C. and was succeeded by Shalmaneser V, who ably ruled, uh, who ably pursued his father's objectives. So finally, <clears throat> we will read from Who's Who in the Bible about King Ahaz, uh, who uh, appealed to the, 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 well, why don't I just uh, share this with you. The 11th king of Judah, that is the southern kingdom, um, and he may have been the 12th, but the book says the 11th king of Judah, who ruled around 735 to 715, B.C. is described in the Bible as one of the worst examples of an apostate king, one who, quote, even burned his son as an offering, end quote. This is the truth. This is in uh, Second Kings. Taking the throne at the age of 20, after several years of co-regency with his father, uh, Jotham, Ahaz inherited political troubles that overwhelmed his courage and ability. He was vacillating and panicked easily in a time that called for fortitude and faith. At the beginning of his reign, he was asked to join the alliance of King Pekah of Israel and King Rezin of Assyria to slow the inevitable Assyrian advance. When Ahaz refused, the two kings attacked Judah and besieged Jerusalem in an attempt to replace Ahaz on the throne with the otherwise unidentified, quote-unquote, son of Tabil. This is in Isaiah. So you're not quite sure who, who uh, who they had in mind. Threatened not only by Rezin and Pekah, but also by their Edomite and Philistine allies, 
Ahaz hoped to save Jerusalem by appealing for help to the Assyrian king. So this is what we just read about. But this is another, uh, from another vantage point. Hope to, uh, all the Edomite and, and Philistine allies, Ahaz hoped to save Jerusalem by appealing for help to the Assyrian king. So not only did he refuse to join Pika and, 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 and Rezin, who, who, because he refused, attacked him, right? uh, so he now appeals to the Assyrian king, Tilgath-Pileser III. Um, as he was about to decide, the prophet Isaiah appeared before Ahaz to plead the case against the Assyrian alliance, promising the survival of Judah through a return to worship of God. Too fearful to trust the prophet, Ahaz hoped to save his kingdom by making the dramatic sacrifice of his son. This is a killed his son to bring down the wrath of God on his enemies. This is, this is uh, he also surrendered his independence to Tiglath-Pileser, begging the Assyrian king to save him. In response, the Assyrian army, as we've already read, marched west in about 732, conquering the Syrian capital of Damascus and portions of Israel uh, before subduing uh, Transjordan and Philistia. In exchange for protection, <clears throat> Ahaz had appeared before uh, Tiglath-Pileser uh, in Damascus to pay tribute in the form of treasure from the temple in Jerusalem and from his own royal palace. While in Damascus, Ahaz was impressed by the great altar that he saw there. He sent construction plans to his high priest, Uriah, with orders to build uh, a replica in Jerusalem. All of this is, is really unconscionable, but it, but it happened. Uh, on it were to, be set, were to be offered sacrifices to the, quote, gods of Damascus, end quote. This is in Second Chronicles. The price of political survival was religious surrender to Assyria. And Ahaz is harshly condemned, I would think so, for his apostasy in the books of Second Kings, Second Chronicles, and Isaiah. At his death, the body of Ahaz was, quote, buried with his fathers in the city of David, that is Jerusalem, end quote. And this is in Second Kings. Although it is noted that, quote, they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel, end quote. This is also, this is in Second Chronicles. His son Hezekiah began an era of spiritual reform. So uh, that, that ends my, my readings, and I hope you uh, were able to follow all of this because we're talking about pretty much the, the same events from three different perspectives, you know, uh, namely uh, the, what, what, what's responsible 
for the destruction of, of the Northern Kingdom and the uh, 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 and the uh, deportation of, of, of Israelites, uh, such that they became the the lost tribes, you know, lost lost from history. So, so from three different perspectives, and this is also the precursor of the Babylonian uh, captivity. So, um, so again, I uh, I hope this was not confusing, but you can always, uh, you know, listen again and again and again. That is, you can listen here at uh, uh, you know on demand at, at, at blogtalkradio.com. You know, just go to uh, Harlem University Radio. Uh, and, and you'll find this and, and the earlier broadcast, or you can you can uh, you can access this this broadcast and and earlier broadcast at uh, Anchor.fm, a n c h o r dot fm, the uh, uh, the podcast platform that distributes uh, this podcast. So this will be a podcast at Anchor. And it will be distributed to other podcast platforms. So when you when you go to um, uh, Harlem University Radio at Anchor.fm, you'll see the other podcast platforms that are carrying these these shows. So um, with that, I before I. <clears throat> uh, Bid everyone, uh, you know, a good evening. I, I want to um, appeal to listeners, you know, to become faculty members here at the uh, Harlem University uh, Radio, which is a simple matter of uh, coming on and reading some history, uh, preferably preferably something that complements some history that's you know that, that's currently being covered. <clears throat> but not necessarily. But that's what make that that makes sense uh, because my plan is to follow that that, that 1936 uh, textbook, uh, follow its you know its chronological um, uh, development. Uh, it's uh, the name of the book is On the Road uh, to Civilization. Um, so and but also what will happen from from time to time and i cannot predict this now is that uh, people who are working on their memoirs will be given some time you know on this on this broadcast and and therefore on, on the podcast they'll be the same they'll will be given some time to um, share what they do they're doing with the hope uh, of uh, audience members, some of whom they will have invited, you know, to listen, and some of whom they will have invited to be on the show as co-hosts. But the purpose is for them to share what they're doing on their memoirs um, uh, in, in order to get feedback that will provide them with um, detail, and 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 will you know evoke uh, more memories 
for them to for them to to work on. So we're focused <clears throat> primarily. We are focused, yes, primarily on history, and history of two kinds, world history and and memoirs. And all history is very important to the human family. Your, Your memoir, your personal memoir is important to the human family because your memoir will serve will 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 do what uh, a uh, you know information about a particular civilization will do for humanity will show us mistakes that we should not make uh but okay <clears throat> well we know that uh what we learn most from history is that we never learn Somebody, I don't know exactly who said that. I don't know if that's how Toynbee put it or Churchill or somebody like that. All right. So, again, thank you for your attendance and, and your uh, forbearance with, uh, uh, it, you know, any confusion that I'm calling. But you can always clear up the confusion by listening to the these shows, you know, on demand, either at blogtalkradio.com or anchor.com. FM, and uh, the show at both places is Harlem University Radio. Thank you, and uh, good night. Shalom, salam, peace.